0: Do babies have a natural instinct to sleep?
1: Getting a better understanding of what my partner needed and what my children really needed, that's made a huge difference.
0: Because otherwise I can get a little bit overwhelmed. (laughs) Yeah, I think lots of parents can relate to that. You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt. These days, many parents, including myself, are desperate to help their children develop resilience. We read articles, go to talks, research on the internet... But what if building resilience was as simple as letting your child play outside? Well, perhaps it was simple when we were kids, but parents today have a more complicated relationship with the outdoors. We're busy working, we don't know our community as well as we'd like to, we're scared of the dangers. Griffin Longley is the founder of Nature Play in Western Australia and he's on a mission to get more kids outdoors. Hi Griffin, how are Hi, you? Hi,
1: good to be here.
0: What is the number one thing you think is great about getting children outdoors?
1: Look, the the really the best thing about getting kids outside is that it's just their natural environment. I mean we we've evolved to be these beings who are at our best outside. It's when we're aware, it's when our senses are tweaked up to their, to their highest, it's when we cooperate with others, it's when we imagine the most, but basically you put a kid outside and you can see their senses opening up and that curiosity and that enthusiasm just ramps in a way that it's very difficult to do inside.
0: We talk a lot about nature play these days and I always feel like it's a, almost a funny phrase to use. Um, and are very indicative of where we're at in the world today, that we're talking about playing in nature, which used to be yeah. such a normal thing for kids to do. But having said that, when I step back from going, God, what a weird thing that we have to teach kids how to play in nature. When I step back from that and I look around, I think, well, this is where we find ourselves. You know, when two parents are busy working, if you live in uh, an area that's densely populated, but you don't know your neighbours, there's lots of cars, etc. Um, do you think we've come to a place where we do have to dramatically change where we're at in order to re-engage with nature?
1: Look, I don't think it's a huge shift. I, mean, I think it looks and feels like a huge shift from a distance, but I think the steps to make it, to change it to, to a situation where we get some of those benefits of that unstructured play for our kids is actually quite easy. I'll give you an example. So, a colleague of mine, she used to live in Canada, and she moved to Western Australia with her husband and her two children, and she was living in this house in a a leafy suburb next to a park, and she started to wonder whether the park was full of snakes because there was no (laughs) kids there, and she was thinking there must be dangerous animals in Australia that that, that, that's clearly why the parents aren't taking their kids outside, and over time she came to realise that there weren't really, you know, crocodiles in the in the park. And so she took her kids with her, and she walked around the block facing onto the park, and she knocked on every door. And she introduced herself, said, Hi, I'm Nicole. These are my kids. Don't know if you've got kids, but my kids are going to be in that park after school, Monday to Friday. I'm going to be there too. It would be fantastic if you could come out if you've got kids. Well, within a couple of months, that park went from being empty every day to being absolutely bursting with kids and parents every day those parents now know each other, those kids know each other, the parents take it in turns to see who's going to be there looking after the kids and who's going to go home and have a conversation with their partner and a cup of tea without being harassed. So it can happen, but it actually requires a really willing and determined effort to to make that change.
0: So I've probably jumped ahead a little bit. I mean, what I mentioned in the introduction was saying that Perhaps resilience is as simple as letting our kids play outside. What is the relationship between resiliency and and playing outdoors?
1: Look, one of the key things is that when a kid's playing outside, typically the parent isn't quite so close. You know, so what we really want for our kids is for them to have time and space to make stuff up, and to make stuff ups. You know, they they want to be able to try things out without being closely supervised you need to be there but they want to be able to make things up and then and you know fail fall over the game not evolve change the game but allowing those things to happen is where resilience comes from you need the courage to be able to try things and the space to do it and then it doesn't always work out and sometimes you graze your knee.
0: With that idea of a parent being there but not necessarily yep. hovering yep. um If I look at our, the way we live, I've got a six-year-old and a four-year-old and we live in a sort of inner city area, when they're outside, we are taking them somewhere. So we're either um, taking them to the park where there's play equipment or we're taking them to a park and we're playing football or soccer with them. Um, There is always a structure to it. I'm really curious about the idea of unstructured play and how we as parents get to that point where we do say to them off you go you go play outside yeah because i i don't even like letting my kids play in the backyard because i can't see them
1: yeah and look it's such a hard thing about being a modern parent i mean we're marinated in fear in, in a way that other generations haven't been but i think it's a steady thing you know i, I don't think you go from being there all the time to saying just just go out and walk the neighborhood <laughs> and come home at dark you know it's yep. probably too far but if you can be there and be a bit involved and have that interaction with your kid which is fantastic but then start trying to remove yourself if you see the kid pursuing something that's interesting them let them do it try and turn your attention away just a little bit allow them to have that space i mean one of the things about kids is they love nothing more than hiding Oh, yes, you know, And and why they love hiding is that they don't actually want to be observed all of the time. So, you know, gradually we can build that in. But I don't think it's an overnight thing. I think you just start trying to, and you can be at the same park, you know, and there'll be moments when it's fantastic to have a really dynamic interaction with the kid and you talk about what they've seen, but then they'll go off and they'll explore a bit further. You know, initially while they're really young, it might only be a few metres and then they come back and they want to dig into what they saw and what they felt and, you know, what they thought. Um, but then that arc becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. But if you recognise that that's a valuable thing, you can you can help facilitate it.
0: The other part of um, parenting, of course, is the judgement. Yes. So we can be marinated in fear yeah. because of what we think might happen to our kids. But then there's also that idea of uh, other parents seeing your kids unsupervised yeah. i mean that's been i think a bigger thing in america um when there was the woman who put her son on the train all those years ago yes, yes. wonderful hero of mine <laughs> yeah, yeah right and then she got that barrage of criticism she but did. what followed that was really interesting was that in other states um parents dobbed in kids of other parents and then the law ca- became involved now i don't think we're that far gone in australia but there is in the back of my mind as well that other parents will see my kids in the backyard and go, "Oh, where are their parents?"
1: Yeah, yep, absolutely. And there, there's nothing more terrifying as a parent than to be thought of as being a bad parent. <laughs> you know? So I, I think there's a there's a collective thing we have to do, uh, you know, for, for this to work, for us to be able to bring back some of the really great benefits of unstructured play, we have to start collectively recognizing that value and and applauding parents you know I, I want to get to the situation where you bring your kid to to daycare and they've got a broken arm and and the other parent looks at you and says how did that happen and you say oh well, they're climbing a tree and they fell out and then there's a you know a round of golf claps <laughs> <laughs> that, that's where we need to how, get how to far,
0: how many years are you going to give this
1: <laughs> well look there is change starting to happen and that the pendulum on this swings all the time and it's swung a long way to to conservatism and to risk aversion and it's starting to come back.
0: You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Griffin Longley. He's the founder of Nature Play in Western Australia and we're talking about the relationship between getting outside and children's children developing resilience but also the barriers that we face as as parents I guess to letting our kids do that. Um, I'm curious about the idea of positive risk-taking and negative risk-taking. Yep. Um, are there age-appropriate risks for children? And, and can you explain a bit about that? And what's the difference between positive and negative risk-taking?
1: Sure. Well, look, one really important one to be aware of is that children lack the depth perception they need to be able to cross a busy street on their own until they're 10. So letting, if you live in a busy area, letting your kid wander off on their own before then is probably not a good idea. Um, But beyond that, kids are really good at assessing their own risk. So if you take a kid to a playground, they will go to the point where they feel comfortable. And then over time, they'll test themselves a little bit. So it's not necessary for parents to always assess that risk for them to the full extent. You know, you want to... Do the broad stuff and then let the kids figure out the fine details. But in terms of positive risk and and negative risk, I think a a good thing to think about is negative risks are risks that are, you know, big in consequence. They're they're really terrible things. But they're also things that a kid can't be expected to see or foresee. So if you're going to let a kid climb a tree, for example, they can see the risks of falling but if that tree is rotting and it's full of white ants and the limb's going to fall down as they climb, they can't, they've got no way of seeing that. So there's no benefit and, and there's a risk that they can't foresee. So that's a really important component. Another thing that I'm going to throw out there is that there's a whole other way of thinking about risk. What risk really is, it's things that threaten your objectives so something that gets in the way of your objective is a risk to that objective. So when we're talking about risk with kids, the first question is, what are our objectives? If our only objective was to keep them safe, then we would remove every possible harm. If our objectives are broader than that, if we want them to be creative and resilient, if we want them to feel connected and loved, then you know the risks to those things are loneliness and being isolated and not being allowed to explore their world. So we need to think first about what we want for our kids before we get into this question of risk.
0: And when you do talk about risk, I guess what that brings in is letting our kids fail and knowing that that, it's okay to fail and you just get off and keep going. And look, I, th-
1: I feel like we sort of overload that word failure by, by this being this incredibly terrifying thing. Failure is, is just a part of every single day. There's little things that don't go right, and you can, you can think of that as a catastrophic thing, or it's just a, one of a myriad of many failures in a, in a life of many successes and many failures, and, and we work through it. But I think absolutely, you know, and, and kids want to feel brave, do that. You know, we we talk about kids needing to feel safe to thrive. And that's really true. But they also need to feel brave. They need to feel like they have a a role in the world and that they have some agency and that they can do things. And that sets them up for a, a fulfilling life, you know, from one year old to 100 years old. And if you don't have that it's really difficult to get the most out of whatever it is you're doing.
0: So all of this makes perfect sense. Um, Where would you say to a parent who is atypical of this time, like me, so a parent like me who um, wants to get their kids outdoors, still has a few of those fears or a lot of them in terms of safety, in terms Of of not being there to watch them, um, but is desperate for them to get that experience. How would you advise someone like me to start to embrace the idea of kids getting outside more?
1: Yep. Well, look, the first thing I would say to you as that, that model parent is that nature is everywhere outside. You don't need to, to book, um, you know, some adventure, although those adventures are fantastic. <laughs> the one I'm thinking about. <laughs> those are great. Those are great. But, you know, it's like the food pyramid, you know. The, the big thing at the bottom of that pyramid that you want every day, is just getting outside, being in the air, having time and space to play, and and to make that work, we actually need to book it in. We need to actually make time in our busy calendars. So this is some time where this is we're going to structure some unstructured play in, as, as perverse yes. as that is to say. <laughs>
0: But it has to happen. It has or to be there. It won't. It won't. It won't happen if you don't put it in a schedule. Because we're so busy, yes. you know,
1: us and our, and our kids are busy. We're all busy. So you actually need to block out time for it. That's the important thing. And then, as you're moving up that pyramid, you know, maybe once a month, try and find time to go to a regional park somewhere not too far away, where the the, the nature's a little bit wilder, but there's still toilets and there's all the things that that are going to support an easy family adventure or outing. And maybe once a year at the top of that pyramid, try and actually go out, even if it's for a a single night or a single day, and experience the world without the human catastrophe over the top of it. So you don't have to do that all the time. But the first thing is every day, find structure in some time to be outside. And if you live in an apartment block in the middle of the city, you can still find a bench somewhere you can sit down and you can take a moment to see what birds come through that street and they will be there and talk about them give them names make up stories about them but that time shoulder to shoulder outside will will allow conversation into your life with your kids in, in a way that it's very difficult to do otherwise
0: That's um, very inspiring, Griffin. Thank you so much for coming in and chatting with us. Thank you. That was Griffin Longley, founder of Nature Play Western Australia, and we've got the perfect series to get you guys outside into nature. Dirt Girls' Nature Detective Academy is available now wherever you get your podcasts or on the free Kindling app. You've been listening to Kindling Conversation. If you enjoyed it, there's plenty more where that came from